hello there, Flow Grappling fans. What's up? What's up? Episode one of the brand new live Flow, Bra- Flow Grappling podcast, A Fistful of Collars. I'm Hal Teague, joined by Chase Smith, principal photographer and content producer, Ooh. and Will Safford, our social media maestro. And guys, this is it. We're live. This is it. This is it. We're missing one key member, Reed Connell, out in uh, South Korea. He should have landed by now. Oh, yeah, Reed took one for the team there. That's a rough trip. We're all really... No, we wish we could have gone, so... Yeah, usually it's going to be at least, you know, three of us, but maybe we're going to... Hopefully, we'll have Reed back in the episodes as well. Reed, of course, is our major documentary maker. He makes all the the high-quality films and highlights that you've seen from our events. He's in South Korea working on some pretty special projects. Uh, Big event coming up this weekend, Spider Jiu-Jitsu. He's over there for that championship. We're going to have the match videos live next week on the site. And uh, hopefully soon as well, you should see some of that cool stuff that Reed's been working on. But speaking of events, this weekend, we've got a big one coming up. Fight to Win Pro 62 main event, Kit Dale versus Jake Shields. Guys, what do you think about that? Man, it's a fun matchup. And uh, two pretty d- different personalities, right? Jake Shields pretty just embraces the grind. Funny guy, but Kit Dale is Let, just... Let's the jiu-jitsu do the talking. Exactly, right? yeah. exactly. But yeah. Kit Dale, of course, everyone knows his personality. He is just hilarious. And uh, But their jiu-jitsu is kind of similar, right? They both have great wrestling. Both seem to want to be on top. What do you guys think? I think it's going to be fun. I think one of the big differences, however, is that Jay Shields is training with Danaher and the death squad in New York City. Jake Shields, I'm pretty sure, is undefeated in his in fight to win. He had, a, he had, he had a match against uh, Marilla Santana back in October. Beat him. He had a submission underground against uh, Gilbert Dorino Burns a couple of months ago. Won that one as well. Um, so he's given Dennis on submission undergrounds. Right. And I remember last year or possibly the year before, I forget exactly, but he'll hook uh, win over Lyoto Machida and fight right, to win fight as well. To win. So yeah, it's a cancer event. That was a great, great match. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. I mean, Jake Shields very active, training with some high-level guys there in New York, down in the the, the blue dungeon, as uh, John That's Danaher right. likes to call it, the Hands of Gracie Academy. And uh, Kit Dale, though, training on West Coast. He's over there. He's been training with the guys at Gracie Baja Northridge, Homolu Bahal, etc. Training with Craig Jones. Wow, <laughs> yeah. man of the moment, Craig Jones. Breakout star, 2017. You know, Kit's. Uh, he took a bit of a break. He had that knee injury and then came on strong at the very end of 2017, competed at Worlds, qualified for ADCC, competed at ADCC, and then again at Nogi Worlds. So he's probably really just beginning to hit his stride after taking basically a full year or two off almost. So. He was out a while there, yeah. I remember we bumped into him at like... You know, there in uh, San Francisco for the 2016 Nogi Worlds, right at the tail end of the year, and it was his first tournament back, and he was actually competing, uh, you know, against physio's orders. They said, no, hmm. listen, you know, you've got to wait another two months or so before you're allowed back on the mat. And he's like, yeah, okay, I'm just going to fly to SF and uh, tap some guys out. <laughs> so that's kit for you. But pretty interesting clash of styles this weekend. Like you said there, you know, they've kind of got, in in, in some respects, quite similar jujitsu, but... Uh, I, I guess if you look in like personality-wise, it reflects in their jujitsu, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like obviously Jake is very predictable. He's a kind of a quiet personality. You know exactly what he's going to do. He's going to go out there, take the guy down, smash, 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 and he's going to look for that finish. But Kit, I mean, you never know what to expect with Kit, right? I think we're going to see some good wrestling out of these guys. I think they're going to want to stand, fight for the top position. However, Kit has been training with Kit, with uh, Craig Jones. You know, he's been he's been working with. Uh, we just released a highlight video. He was. Showing heel hooks and toe holds, he's not afraid to play the leg lock games. And Jake Shields down in the in the in the blue dungeon, 
It's going to be hip to that as he's well. He's going to be right? hip to it as well. Yeah. So we could see some uh, some leg locks. It'll be a great you know test for both of them. But they're definitely not the only exciting match on that card. We have guys like Canna Rice, 10 million, Marvin Castells on the card, Nick yeah. Green from Kurt Osianders, uh, Benji Silva. It goes on. Fight to Win really brings out so much great local talent. And uh, in the Bay Area, you got like a thousand guys that are really good, so. Yeah, it's interesting to note actually that Fight to Win Pro, they're gonna be in Oakland this weekend. Uh, it's Fight to Win Pro 62, and it is almost, it's almost a year to the day since that famous Imanari role, which the viral video currently at over 12 million views, possibly, I think, actually, no, definitely the most viewed video in jujitsu history, and, uh, the man who shot it right here. That was crazy. It was, <laughs> it was one of the wildest things. I, I wasn't even really prepared to shoot at that point in time. I was running back and forth between my station uh, where I upload clips and edit some photos real fast and go shoot again. And I knew that he was the guy to watch, so I ran up with my camera. And as you saw in the clip, it was immediate. The match had just started. I'm a little bit shaky. I'm still set up my shot. And boom, he hits the Imanari roll, gets the tap, and it's like, oh, my God. And I, at the time, I didn't even know how special that moment was. I knew it was a great clip. And that he had just done an amazing submission. But then, you know, I covered the rest of the event. It was a Gary Tonton, AJ Agazar. Um, yeah, that was a wild event. Edwin Nachby versus Nate Mendelssohn. Yeah, it was a crazy so, event. So much was happening. And so I just cover the event, go to bed, and wake up the next morning. Oh my God, this video has like 3 million views or something insane in just like, tw like 24 hours. So And it just kept going from just there. Just kept going. So. I mean, we, we put up an article on um, uh, flowgrappling.com this morning talking about. Uh, the life-changing moment for Marvin Castell, and that's really what it was. You know, since then he's he's traveled the world. He's been teaching seminars. He went full time because he was working at the time as well. He's gone full time in jujitsu. So, man, like, who'd have expected that to uh, to blow up as it did? But you oh, don't know. Maybe uh, we'll see another one this weekend. Right. That's that's what I was gonna say. I wonder if there's now pressure on him to to live up to that. Like he he feels like he needs to throw out the Imanari role. But well, he's hit it since. You know, and it's no secret, people know what he's about, but he's caught it since then. He's just, he's got it down. He got right? another one at ADCC trials. So. Yeah. And if he throws yeah. it at full speed and he can hit it as smooth as he did, there's really nothing you can do. Like, what are you going to do when that's coming in on your leg? It's, I think it's a tough one to defend. Well, continuing with uh, the fight to win discussion, uh, obviously we looked forward to fight to win next weekend. Uh, sorry, but yes, let's look back at the fight to win that just happened mm. last weekend. Mm. Now. It was, a, uh, it was an event in the OC, Orange County. The uh, main event was Joao Cis versus Braga Neto, but that's not the match that stood out for us. For us, the match that stood out was a uh, somewhat controversial match featuring AJ Agazam. Never heard that it's term. Surprising. You know, yeah, yeah that, those two terms are the same <laughs> sentence before, have we, right? But AJ Agazam was going up against um, a local opponent, and what happened was he was going up against Chai Sirisut of 10th Planet, a 10th Planet black belt, a new black belt, so AJ goes in, no gi match, and personally, my view of the match was AJ was just in control the entire match. However, the controversy stems from the fact that fight to win, they are submission only, there's no points. So if it goes to uh, the end of the match with no finish, then three judges will render a decision and they hold up the flags at the end of the match. And one of the three judges gave the match to Chai. So. Let's talk about that. Chase, your thoughts, first of all. It's a pretty interesting decision. Uh, the one ref who 
raised in favor of Chai uh, was Robert w Wunderlich, the head Fight to Win Pro referee. He's responsible for maintaining the kind of standards of that organization. And he was the guy on the mat for the match as well. It's important to note. Exactly. Right? So yeah. he, he has the best view of the match, and uh, you know he feels confident at this point running 60 plus events in the criteria. And me personally, I also watched the match. It, it, seemed like AJ controlled the entire thing from start to finish. If, if, as you mentioned earlier when we were talking, he would have scored 20 plus points in an IBJJF rule set. However, in Fight to Win, it is just about one thing, attacks. And it's tough to gauge sometimes whether it's a, a real threat or if it's just sort of a perceived threat. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. or a Hail Mary. You know? and, um, I can't say that I really saw any from Chai. I, I do think AJ was, was looking to finish and also positionally dominating. But under Fight to Win's criteria, again, it's kind of almost a, a numbers game. Like, how many sub attempts are you throwing? Yeah, well, the way that the criteria was explained to me is that a major submission attack that is in danger of finishing the match uh, outranks any kind of like, you know, what's working towards a submission attempt, outranks anything else, meaning takedowns, sweeps guard passes, positional control, the rest of jujitsu. okay? But so, Will? I, I don't think I saw any submissions from the 10th Planet uh, competitor that would be potentially match-ending attempts. Man, I'll be honest, I completely agree. I, I watched that video closely more than once and I, I just don't see it, right? But he, it, he does make an interesting point because I, I do, I've watched a lot of fight to win and a lot of the announcers are always saying they need to move now, they need to throw submission attempts. That's what's kind of actually the beauty of fight to win is that even if you're, you know, down on these figurative points, you can still come back just by throwing up a, a submission attempt, you know, by, by threatening your opponent. So, you know, he does have a few things going for him. The ref in this case, he did have the best vantage point out of anybody there. Um, and he was able to gauge the severity of the submissions as well. I know AJ threatened to Kimura mm -hmm. early in the fight, um, but he escaped quickly. So yeah, he, he, was, was, he was working towards maybe setting up like a DAS or he was looking for stuff, but it was never at any point where Chai actually had to really defend to get out, right? He never right. had to escape. Right. So, But I, it's, it's hard to watch this as a kind of a jujitsu purist in a way because AJ did dominate positionally. He took his opponent to the mat. I mean, his jujitsu was like almost flawless mm. for the entire match. So, so to see him, I, I thought it was a unanimous decision when I was watching, but to see someone have come with a split decision, I was like, nah, there's something not right there. Mm. You know, from, from, an, from, a, from a whole standpoint, looking at the match. In, what in do you guys whole. think about replacing sort of the traditional jiu-jitsu hierarchy of you get position before submission, you sort of advance along the way and get points. When you remove that, does that take anything away from a jiu-jitsu match? Yeah, or? personally for me it does because then you get, uh, you get moments like, remember Gordon pulling Mount? Right, mm -hmm. and he was allowing guys. He, he was in That's like a right. submission-only tournament, and Gordon just straight up goes lies down, like that. Mm -hmm. And he's like, "Come on, go, go ahead." And the guy mounts him, and then he throws up the legs and he goes for the heel hook. You know, right. now under fight to win rules, he would be considered to be in complete control and winning that match because he came close to a submission that the guy had to escape from, and the guy like. You know, okay, let's say, for example, he had worked. He wasn't just allowed to pass. Mm -hmm. Let's say that he actually worked like his ass off to get a double under pass and then throw the guy's hips to the side and then get to man, control him. 
me, I mean, that is what jujitsu is about, right? That's the struggle. It's about advancing towards a target objective. Like for me, I don't think a guy on bottom just throwing up like, say for example, a shitty Ezekiel choke from bottom that makes the guy strip the hand away from the throat is worth more than taking the guy down, you know, maybe like you know, passing the guard, advancing to control position. I don't see it. I don't see it. But it does change the game. So I think really, I mean, if you're prepared to compete under those rules, man, you got to be prepared to deal with it. Just go out there and tap the guy out or work towards doing that. Don't expect for a guard pass and an outside control to win the match. It's true. And when you see uh, competitors that have been on more than once a fight to win and their corners, you'll hear them calling, not for positions or for anything specific. They'll say, submission attempts, try and sub. You know, they are really just calling for anything from whatever position they may be in, hit the submission or go for it because that is going to, you know, be favorable for the judges. Yeah, definitely. And I think as a viewer as well, maybe it's a little bit different. Uh, we need to watch it through a different lens as well, right? If you're watching it through the traditional kind of like points mentality, then to, you, know, you might be surprised at some of the decisions. But. Even in uh, the Gary Tonin match with, with AJ and the Gi, you know, mm. AJ would have run up all the points on Gary in that point. He swept them, he passed his guard several times. But Gary had the very, very deep you know, knee bar <laughs> attempt that oh, was yeah, just pretty insane to watch. Um, and that gave him the fight. So sometimes more uh, decisions are clearer than the others, but it is, it is an interesting specific for fight to I win. think it just lends itself to the, to the bigger argument, which is what do you as a spectator like to view more? Submission attempts or positional, positional control points playing where you're, you're passing the guard, you're you know, getting to a better position where maybe you can land a submission. So it's all... It all comes down to that. Let I mean, us know in the comments, guys, yeah. what you guys think of, you know, sub-only, fight to win is a very specific version of sub-only and also traditional points. What is uh, more enjoyable to watch? Which better to compete in? What's true jiu-jitsu? We want to know. Yeah, you know, you me think. personally, I'll be honest, I want to see it all. I, I don't think it should be... I like be the an, variety. Yeah. I don't think it should be an either-or, you know? Like, some of these guys that drive me absolutely crazy, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not about points, bro. I'm not about that IBJJF bullshit, you know? Like, I'm more about the sub-only. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was Mike Kalimbus, the photographer. You know, Mike, shout out. He's uh, hopefully watching. But Mike's badass photographer and really plugged in. Works with Fight to Win as well. But he said it himself, right? That the sub-only jiu-jitsu guys are like the vegan crossfitters <laughs> of jiu-jitsu because they never shut up about being sub-only, right? So right. screw those guys. There's something wrong, <laughs> there's something wrong with your jiu-jitsu if you can't win in a variety of rule sets. You know, you, you have to modify your game. Oh, 100%. And best and guys actually, do. The, the best, best guys, guys do. do. The best guys are consistent across all, all modalities. Gi no gi, submission only, points, whatever it is. Same right? bases at the top of the podium. Yeah, you know, Felipe Pena is a perfect example of that. You know, he, he competes <laughs> in sub-only and he can go out there and he can take guys out and competes in ADCC, competes in IBJJF, doesn't matter, King right? Cornelius, so. the lapel wizard, you know, takes second place at ADCC, so. There you go. Skill trumps all. All right, so moving swiftly on. Um, a lot of news going on in jiu-jitsu at the moment. There's some other things worth talking about, and one of those is the recent development, the announcement of three black belts joining Atos, okay? So Andre Galvão and those guys are picking up even more talent to already what is one of the deepest squads in jiu-jitsu. So you've got Gustavo Batista, nicknamed Braguinha, Luisa Montero, I think she's a, a possibly a five-time world champion, but ridiculously credentialed black belt, and Rafael Vasconcelos. And it's interesting to note that the three of those guys all left Leandro Lowe's brotherhood team in Sao Paulo to join with Andre Galvão, who is obviously based in San Diego, California. So 
exactly the motivations for those. I mean, we've just, you know, we asked and people generally don't like to talk about why they're leaving one team and joining another. We get the standard responses. Of course, they're looking for the best training opportunities, you know, the example that those guys set and the depth of talent and the opportunities that that will present. But let's talk about the team, sh the, the team switching thing. I mean, this is a, something of a divisive topic in jiu-jitsu because let's be honest, you know, people don't like it when people switch teams, right? And no one wants to be called a crioche, you know, it's, it's yeah. a... It's a bad thing to be. There's a huge stigma against it, right? But as, as jiu-jitsu professionalizes itself, you're going to want the best training. You're going to want to live in the place that's most conducive to a healthy lifestyle. And, you know, maybe getting into San Diego is a goal for many athletes. So I, I'm all for it. I think uh, if you see an opportunity to join an excellent squad, there's a spot for you and they're welcoming, you know, you don't, you don't have to be rude to your old team, but... Do what's best for you. You're pursuing your own career. What, what about this, Will? What about now if one of those guys, be it Rafael Vasconcelos or Gustavo Batista, what do you think happens when they end up on the opposite side of the of the map from you know one of their former teammates? What do you think going to happen there? Yeah, you're you're in a tough situation uh, when you switch teams. But you know, sometimes we have seen teammates on the opposite sides of the bracket and they fight each other. You know, jujitsu is very much an individual sport, right? So. There's been many guys who switch teams throughout the history of jiu-jitsu, but at the end of the day, it comes down to you're remembered by your name, right? You're not, you're of course alliance and these big names, these big schools, they're remembered, but the, the greats in jiu-jitsu are remembered by your name. And uh, I look at it similar to like a LeBron James who wants to win, you know, he is a champion through and through. I think jiu-jitsu has some of the most competitive guys in the world, competitive athletes in the world, and they want to win. So you want to surround yourself with people who have a similar mindset, similar goals, who are going to test you, push you in the gym. So agreeing with Chase here, I think, you know, it's, uh, it comes down to aligning yourself for success. And I do agree with the fact that there seems to be more opportunity, especially in the competition scene within the United States. So coming to the U.S., you know, and if your team is not established here in the U.S., you may not have an option, you know, to, 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 to stay with your team. So There's got to be a right way to do it, though. You don't just cut ties, leave in the middle of the night. I mean, be upfront about your, your goals and ambitions, and hopefully you're supported. If not, then you did what you could, and, you know, you leave on good terms. And, you know, let's just take a look at how that applies to Atos as well, because uh, you've got three... Big name black belts, you know, uh, Gustavo, Gustavo Batista, of course, he won Europeans three years in a row, three different belt colors. He won, you know, blue, purple, brown in three consecutive years <laughs> and just got his black belt last year. So, I mean, he's obviously a super hot talent competing in, in and around the heavyweight, medium heavyweight division, depending on the, the level of the tournament. Um, it's not like Atos were hurting for mid middle heavyweight, heavyweight, <laughs> black, you know, high-level black belts, right? So who else you got there? You got, well, Hulk. You got Keenan. You got guys kind of right on the cusp of that as well, like guys like Don Bell will be coming through from brown belt to compete at black belt soon. I Mike mean, Perez floating around. Mike Perez. So are Atos just loading up the brackets as much as they can? Is that what it's about? Are they just like, man, we're going to stack it with as many guys as we got in, you know, so that we just dominate the podium? I don't know if that's the case. I think it is a case of people trying to, someone who's coming in is trying to better their position. But also, Atos wants to surround themselves with the best athletes out there. 
you know. So if you're playing the same games constantly, Keenan's constantly playing Hulk, Hulk, and Hinger, you know, you're not seeing new looks, you know, that could be something too. They want to bring in some new, fresh, young talent who's going to challenge them so they maintain. Last year was the first year Atos won the world championship as a team, right? So you got to keep your foot on the gas now. You got to keep that level of intensity and, and, and competition high so you can maintain that. Well, the one thing, sorry, the one thing we have seen with Atos as well is that, you know, they, they're an international team, but their centers of power are really concentrated, right? So in California, uh, it's kind of spread out a little bit in Brazil, you know, spread out in Europe. But uh, is this a move to consolidate power further in, in their HQ? Or is this maybe a move to bring in guys and then to spread that out, you know? So let's see where it goes. But the team switching thing is interesting. And... Um, as I said, a bit of a divisive topic. It definitely riles some people up. Some people are super against it. Some people aren't. I mean, Andre Galvao is a perfect example himself that he actually passed through many teams and, you know, on his journey before setting up his own. So, you know, it happens a lot. But there is one guy, one name in particular, a guy who's synonymous with switching teams, and that is Urba Santos, mm. okay? So the reason why I'm bringing this up it's a perfect segue, of course, to go from the team switching to talk about this man. But why are we talking about Urbeth? Well, we need to talk about Urbeth, right? <laughs> what is going on with Urba Santos right now, okay? Three matches, three submission losses. Now, this is from the 2017 super heavyweight black belt world champion, a guy who is one of the most feared, one of the most dynamic, one of the most aggressive grapplers in the sport, and yet, the last couple of months, he's looked like a different athlete. What's going on? I mean, we have, we have to even say the obvious here, in case you have not seen these matches, he's tapping to positions, it seems. You know, the, the, Tommy Langacker's triangle at Europeans, he hadn't even finished switching from holding the, the leg behind the head with his hand to the leg. It was, it, it was not complete yet. And then at ACB, again, we see him kind of tap under, mat, under mount to Adam Wardzinski. What do you guys think is going on there? I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the million-dollar question, it's right? Hard to what call. is going on with Urba Santos? It's hard to well, say. Well, the one thing that I look at is something that changed last year. So in 2017, he was the number one ranked uh, competitor in the IBJJF, right? He won the world championship. So he was training then with Atos, okay? Then he leaves to Brazil uh, and starts his own team, okay? So now he's got all this responsibility. He's a, a role model to a lot of different young men down in Brazil, and potentially he has this, this pressure to uphold this image that he's created and also maintain that level of, of uh, you know, excellence that he has. So maybe it was a thing, it has to do with the pressure. He's only 23 years old, right? So it's a lot of responsibility having for a, a team yeah. as a 23-year-old and, and setting an example for the guys below you has got to be you know, pretty difficult. Well, the word on the street is, um, I mean, just going back to the team thing. So he was with Atos via his affiliation with Almeida Jiu-Jitsu. And Almeida left High and Gracie and they started Almeida and then it became part of the Atos network. So, you know, Urbeth kind of went along with that, right? And it was uh, before Worlds that he went there and he did the training camp with those guys and he was training and you were there, right? You were in the room, you saw him training. How did he look? It's right. It's great. I mean, that room is a meat grinder. It's extremely tough roles. Uh, he was winning some, he was losing some. He definitely wasn't running the show, but man, he could, he could do some crazy stuff in there. Urba's such an animal, such an athlete. Well, there you go. So he's right up there with the best in the world, one of the toughest rooms in the world, and Herbert is there, and he is, you know, 
There's no question about his position in sport. So, like you say, he gets back to Brazil after the Worlds, and shortly after, what happens? He leaves Almeida Jiu-Jitsu to start up his own team, ES, right? Uber Santos, but he calls it the Esquadrão, Squadron, Uber Squadron, okay? And he invites all these young up-and-comers to his gym in Sao Paulo. Guys from all over Brazil come there because of, you know, his, his, his reach on social media. And he's, like, you know, posting all these photos of these guys. And he's got, like, a, a squad of, like, 12 guys. And they're all running around in the streets <laughs> making all these crazy howling noises and stuff, right? It's like a crazy fight club kind of thing going on. Mm. They're all gone. All those guys have left. So... What's going on inside Urbeth's gym as well? Like, the word on the street is that he's, like, teaching classes to white belts now. You know, he, he actually built out the academy. The gym is all set up. He's got nobody to train with. So is that a factor as to why his performance has hit, like, a, a, a skid, you know? is a, a severe decline as to his, the results right now. So, I don't know. It's interesting to note whether the, the, the team factor is a thing, whether it's a lack of training partners, and, uh, you know, the question is, how does he rectify that? How does he get back to the Herbert that we know? How does he get back to that beast of a man that literally strikes fear and breaks people in the middle of matches? Like, just mentally breaks them. He's got to get some, some easy wins. I think, I think some local tournaments, Herbert should just go in and rekindle that passion, that fire for winning, because something needs to be fixed. And I think a, a few medals might help. Might help the ego a little bit. I agree with that. You know, obviously it seems like it could be something mental going on with him. You know, there's the potential that it could be an injury. We never know. You know, a lot of these taps have been when he, his neck or, you know, his upper torso has been compromised. So uh, there could always be that. Um, but I do think it's important to resolve this sooner rather than later because you start to see a snowball effect. You know, this yeah. is the third time that we've seen him tap in these types of situations. You know, could this be the, the decline of, you know, one of the most, one of the greatest competitors? You know, that's what... It, Oh, and he's got the potential to go on to become one of the greatest. He's super young, right. you know, and he's, I, I would like to see someone in the heavier ranks who can challenge Puchecha. Mm. You know, someone who can get out there, be confident, and take on, go at Puchecha, not somebody who, you know, is, loses position and then taps out. So. I mean, like, you know, he's, he's, he's right there. He's taken Puchecha to the limit in previous matches, you know, he's, he's yet to get a win over him. Of course, that's, <laughs> that's no mean feat, yes. right? Right. But he's there, he's, he's among the current crop of generation, the, the current kind of black belt competitors that we got, who can go out there and at least give Bouchesha a competitive match. And I'm not saying I want to see Bouchesha lose, but I want to see him challenged. Exactly. Right? So we need guys like Herber to keep things firing. So, well, let's hope that he does figure it out. But I've got to say, on my list, my all-time list, of the, the people that I would least like to train or <laughs> train with or compete against. I think Urbeth is possibly top three, if not top two. Uh, I just, I can imagine it would be painful. I would, it would be scared. I'd be, I'd be fighting for round. my life. It would, be, it would be tough, right? It would be oh. tough. But I'm going to pose the question to you guys. Guys that you would le least likely to roll with, who, who are they? I think number one is Hadafa Vieira. <laughs> I, I would not want to. Because when that guy, he just dropped drop Niseo Nagi's everybody. And all you see is this, he's got a highlight reel of just so many big guys, huge guys hitting the max. And uh, he's, his pressure is just unrelenting. He's, he's got a, not a violent style, but he is just he's so explosive, so powerful, so strong, extremely technical. 
Uh, and he has submitted some of the best guys in yeah. jiu-jitsu yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think Hidalfo is on top of my list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that would be a tough role. You know, for me, uh, I'm a light featherweight, so I think uh, Nalati is probably one, one, <laughs> one of the last people I, w- I would like to have. 150 kilos of man-mounted. Trying oh, to get yeah. on top of me. Uh, I will say the worst role I've ever had, actually had, is, is probably Josh Hingert from, from Atos. Uh, Yikes. He's, he's a f- really friendly guy. Love that dude. However... He does not love you back on the mats. <laughs> he, uh, he works those, those head and arm chokes, guillotines, darces, whatever yeah, it might be. Yeah, you no gi, right? It was rolling no gi, and he's very good at that. And so it was, it was a lot of fun. But, but you already roll with Josh, so come on, you've already had that experience. If there are guys out there that you would not dream like to or, or nightmare roles, nightmare, yeah. nightmare <laughs> roles. Uh, Joao Gabriel Hosha has got to be up there as well. I mean, just the largest people on the planet are, are people that I want to avoid. Um, mm-hmm. Bushecha, he's got to be up there too. He's, man. He is just there. so scrappy, you know. When, he's, he's when he gets going. Conan the Barbarian of Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. That's right. I, I <laughs> Depends on if they're angry or not too, right? Like Rustam. Uh, would be <laughs> would be rough to roll with, I think, especially if we we're talking nogi. Man, I just hope we wear a rash guard. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> the hairiest, that angry little hedgehog. With a, like a Tokino. No one wants to roll with Tokino. <sighs> no. Except Gary Tonin. You, yeah, Ca- Gary would. Yeah, Gary, Gar- what would Gary Tonin do? That's the question. I'm right. going to have to ask myself that. Uh, another guy on my list. I mean, we're, you know, let's try to keep it in the, the weight classes, but i got to say... Um, uh, this is backed up because it's not just me who doesn't want to roll with him, but Orlando Sanchez. Ah, yes. Right? Now, Orlando, man, I love you, Orlando. You're a great guy. However, <laughs> oh, my God, a man with no neck who moves like a cat and weighs, like, what, 250, right? Got his black belt in, like, four years. Uh, no, thanks. Or just no way, <laughs> right? It was crazy watching him roll before EDCC with the whole Gracie Baja crew. They were, it was two days before the event, and it starts out kind of light. Everyone's warming up. They're supposed to keep it light. You know, ADCC is in two days. But then Felipe Pena and Orlando start rolling. And, man, it got turned up really, really quickly. You know? <laughs> and I could just see he, he has one speed, and that's just crush and destroy. So, yeah, I agree with that. He's on my list, too. Yeah. Uh, so we printed out some photos from ADCC, and uh, they're now decorating our little workspace in the Flow Sports HQ. And uh, I got a little photo of Orlando, the famous <laughs> photo there on my desk. I just look at it each day, and I think... What would Orlando Sanchez do? And I, uh, I actually sent that to him, and he responded, "Go all fucking in." <laughs> one true, way, true one way to do it. There you go, guys. On that bombshell, I think this is a uh, a pretty good time to close the uh, podcast. And uh, so, episode one in the bag, going to be back every single week, every Thursday, approximately the same time. So, guys, what did you think? Looking forward to it. Yeah, I think this was great. I had fun. Kind of talking with you guys, so I can't wait to do it again. Started something beautiful. I'm looking forward to being here each week or as often as possible, given events. Hit us up. Make sure that you reach out. Tell us what you thought. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you'd like to see us cover, like to see us talk about, and we'll try and work it in future episodes. But make sure you follow Flow Grappling, guys. See you later.